Welcome to On Route to Wealth, a show where those who haven't always been included in the finance world lean in and have open money conversations. We talk about building wealth so that we can live our dream lives, support our family by breaking generational patterns and creating generational wealth, and use our money to do good in the world. When good people have money, good things happen. We believe everyone has their own unique definition of what wealth means to them, and it's based on each person's dreams, desires, and values. Achieving true wealth is a holistic process that goes beyond just making money and incorporates nurturing your mindset and relationship to money and elevating the energy that you feel around your money. I'm your host, Christy Runzer. I'm so happy you're here, my love. Now let's press play on the episode. All right, y'all, we are back for another episode and I'm super, super excited for our guest today because not only is she a good friend of mine and we have just like had a lot of fun together in life and in business, but Eugenie George is also a personal finance writer that focuses on behavioral science for women of color and she's an author of a book called Our Money Stories, which is so good and highly recommend and everyone needs to put on their reading list. And she's a podcast host and her podcast is Money and Flow. So you can definitely check her out there as well and and soak up all her juicy goodness. And I'm just excited to chat with her today. So Eugenie, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah. It's kind of like, we're back. We (laughs) back. (laughs) I feel like, yeah. I Every, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, it's all good. Um, and yeah, because we haven't really chatted or seen each other for a minute because, you know, global mm-hmm. pandemic. But And we we used to like co-work a bit and like see each other all the time. So I'm excited to like start seeing people in person again. Yeah, me too. It's really nice. It is a little overwhelming. Like I'm not even, you know, I, I am considered an extrovert or... <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. I'm an ambivert, clearly, because yes. I really enjoy alone time um, mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> so, um, I'm an introvert, so I'm like definitely, but I can see you as an extrovert because you're just like super outgoing and like easy to talk yeah. to. But the um, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, hey, this is a lot to put myself out there. And I find myself getting drained. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, since we've gotten back from the pandemic, I feel like there's more life. Like I'm like, oh, I'm excited to see people because it's been a year and a half. So I know it's funny when I like the first couple of people I've seen, I'm like, I feel so socially awkward. I'm like, how do you have conversations and like talk to people? I mean, I talk to clients all day, but I don't know. I guess it's different in a social setting. Cause when you're with a client, it's like, you know, you're doing your thing, but so that's, that's been fun. Like, it's like a re-entering. It's like a rebirthing almost. It's weird. It's the, re- like, I've been saying this forever, but I <laughs> felt like it is a, it could be your Renaissance. Cause if you really think about, you know, talk about history or what, and what have you, and you know, it's going to lead into talking about the book, but Every time there's a pandemic, what happens? There's a renaissance after. So it's like people really need to take stock of that um, because, you know, when after the Black Plague happened, boom, renaissance came. So and then like then there was the Harlem Renaissance. Like there's a whole bunch of cool stuff that happens. Unfortunately, 
Um, you know, lots of folks have passed away. Um, mm-hmm. I was just on a phone call with someone who had 16 family members pass away or like within, oh my God. and it's just like, whoa, that's like wow. an entire family tree. So there are definitely, um, Ooh. yeah, it's pretty heavy. That's so it's devastating. Like, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, there's a lot to be grateful for, um, because, you know, you never know when it's, when it's your time. So it, it's, uh, you, we can make this a renaissance if we choose to, you know? Yeah, I know. It's like mixed feelings. Cause on one end there has been death and, and devastation and, and so many problems, but on the other end, there's also been, I think people have had to take a step back and, mm-hmm. you know, lot things were cleared off the calendar. And I think it really, changed a lot of people for the better, whether there was just new realizations or new career paths or just like realizing what wasn't working because you've had a minute to to settle down. So it's weird to see like both the positive and negative things that have that have come out of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So true. So I'm curious to hear a little bit because I knew well I know Eugenie so I know she was a teacher in a past life and now as a personal finance writer and educator how how did you go from teacher to to where you are now like what 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 got you into this career path um I guess there's like two things um one was even when I was a kid I actually was was always interested in money and so um I I remember very clearly my fourth grade teacher teaching us about the stock market. Um, we followed Bank of America, Atari, and Hershey's, and we just would watch the stock market go up and down. And it's a very vivid memory for me. So um, that being said, that's kind of one thing. Um, the other thing is, you know, a little bit of trauma. Um, I always would be the person that was like, super conscious about my money um, because I didn't want to be without. Um, but then when I actually did come without, I really started thinking about, okay, well, what type of career do I want? Um, and then also um, what do I actually like to learn? And like, what are the things that I liked when I was a kid? So um, in the book, I talk about it, but I got evicted from my apartment as soon as when I moved out to Philadelphia. And Black women are three times more likely get to get evicted from their apartments. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could break down with that. But I think the big gist of it is that sometimes a lot of Black women um, don't know where we can find resources. Sometimes we feel like we can't ask for help. And then we kind of just slowly um, suffer with this because it's really hard. Um, especially when you're coming out of an eviction, uh, it's, it's not a fun thing, but, um, during that time I did a whole bunch of stuff, um, uh, in terms of figuring out what type of career that I wanted. And I really realized that, okay, like what were some really big key highlights in my childhood? One was this, that stock, that experience that I remember really vividly. Um, the other thing, um, is, when I was in middle school, I was really interested in journalism. So I thought I wanted to be a journalist. First, I thought I wanted to be a sportscaster. Then I thought I wanted to be just like a regular journalist. And and I was being featured in a bunch of stuff, even when I was like super young. Um, 
I we did a uh, a broadcast at my middle school, and uh, we were always writing actual stories and filming them and doing takes and everything <laughs> um, at my my school. Um, and I always actually did really like journalism, but just never fully pursued it. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Like we would always manage to get our news segments on like local news and different things like that. Um, I, my mom, I grew up in like kind of the entertainment business. Uh, so somehow I would always end up doing, um, like little PBS public access videos and stuff. Never pursued it the older I got, um, just cause I was like, I don't want, attention I want to be taken seriously and not be a class clown but um, now I'm able to basically use all of these like experiences as a kid and and wrap it into okay um, me from me being a teacher um, me having gaps with my money me wanting to be a journalist and now I'm able to actually put all of them together to create a career Um, you know it doesn't happen overnight clearly it's a at least two, three years. And I think it took me since last year to be like, oh, okay, I'm a personal finance writer. I'm like, this is what I do. And I'm a journalist. And so, you know, it's all baby steps. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you really took that intentional reflection and even thought back to your childhood, because I think a lot of times that can give a lot of clues as to what we just are so naturally interested in. And I think too, you know, we get conditioned out of that sometimes. Like I remember just like being told, so I like wanted to be, I wanted to be a singer, which (laughs) is so random. And I don't know if that even relates to what I do now, but I loved like performing and like singing and dancing and like getting the neighbors together and like putting a performance on. And I remember being in third grade and my mom was like, you don't have a musical bone in your body. And I just remember that like crushing my dreams. And I don't, yeah. So it's just so fascinating that you really like went back and reflected and, and those pieces have kind of started coming together for you and also that your teacher was teaching you about the stock market in fourth grade because who learns about money in school I don't even know because we weren't even in an affluent area like it's crazy I was thinking about that I was like oh my gosh I learned this these skills um even when I was when I was younger um and uh like we were I mean the it was basically lower middle-class folks living um, in this area. And so I, it was crazy that we actually looked at it, but um, I didn't really start thinking about my childhood and, and what makes me tick um, until I listened to this video from Debbie Millman. Um, she has a podcast called Design Matters. And uh, she was talking about when she was, like feeling hopeless with her career and not really knowing what to do. She went back and looked at like her, her childhood pictures and in her childhood pictures, it, it showed like she drew vividly brands like Tropicana, Pepsi. And now she's like all about branding. Like she's 
a world famous brand. That's super You know, it's something like super (laughs) random. So, you know, I I just think about that with you, Chrissy, like you never know how it ends up working out because you're always using the skills that you have as a kid, just, but you're doing it in a different way. So like using the skill of getting everybody together, um, you know, that is a skill that you ha- now have when you're dealing with people in finance. It's kind of a hard thing to do. Um, and then the other thing is like, who knows what, like, you might not immediately be tied to creativity, but there could be something with on financial where it's like planning just for creatives or, you know, and you still get to be in that industry, um, but be adjacent to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that is a lot of how it shows up is like the creative aspect. Like I'm not mm-hmm. just like the financial planner who's behind the calculator and like <laughs> right. number robot type of person. Right. So yeah. yeah, it's so fascinating. And also, you know, getting evicted, that's a big financial moment, right? How did that kind of play out for you like in the future? Was It sounds like it really motivated you to like learn about your finances. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the crazy thing is I was always the person that was a saver. Um, and so like I always had money saved when I had a full-time income. Um, and then when I decided to go and do my own business, I wasn't thinking about paying myself first, supporting myself, um, at all. I was just like, oh, I'm going to keep um, doing this thing. Uh, I think the other thing that I really didn't realize, even until just recently, is like, you know, the idea of paying yourself first, also in your business. So actually profit first and like what that actually means, because that was where the deficit was. I think if you're trying to start out a business, I do not think it should always be all your money. It's got to be, it's got, it's either you saved up money for that and you had a separate account um, or you do iFund Women or you do GoFundMe or you start pitching. And like, I don't think that startup costs really should always just be the individual anymore Um, because people want what you have. So it's like, there's money out there. Um, And that's a hard thing for a lot of us to kind of grasp. Um, So with me, with the eviction part, a lot of it was like me not asking for any money. Mm -hmm. Um, I am an under earner, right? Like saying that, like I, um, I under earn because I don't want to like minimize. I think that's a way to minimize my value. Um, I don't want to charge people a certain amount of money for the hard work that I've put in. Um, so I'm like overcoming that realization. But I think that was the big thing of uh, understanding that I am supposed to, I don't want to say put my face mask on first, because who the hell actually puts their face mask on first? No one does. Right. So like, <laughs> I like actually dip my toe in the water when it came to um, saving after the eviction because the eviction was just really, uh, it was crappy. Like it just was debilitating. It took, you know, a solid 
four years for me to not feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes a while, you know, um, and even getting yourself out of it, um, just kind of starting from scratch. Uh, it's hard. And I even find myself uh, being stressed out about it when it comes to like little things like planning for the future, like whatever the little trauma is, it's like, you're never going to have enough. You're not going to have enough. So it's like, then I become rigid. So it's definitely a learning curve. I'm not doing this alone. I have multiple people um, that are helping me. uh, And I think that's what is great about it. Like I have um, my job gives me healthcare and the healthcare has free health coaching. So like I nice. go through all the stuff and, and like my health coaches or nurse um, will tell me about some woo-woo stuff or tell me what I should be doing in around my health. Um, I, I ask for help. I start, I ask, because if not, like you're, you're basically, you'll lose yourself when you're not asking for help. Mm. Um because you, you really can't do it alone. And like, you just, you just can't. And I think that was a really hard lesson for me. One, I'm an only child. And then two, like, you know, the plight of being black and all and whatnot has always been, you have to work twice as hard, you know, mm-hmm. never, never let anybody see you sweat. Yep. Um, and so there's all this like ancestral stuff that I had to break down um, to even get to where I am right now. Yeah. And that's such an important message to, to ask for the help. But as you spoke to when you're living in that trauma, you know, it, it can be, you may not even know that that's, that's what you need to do. Or, you know, you may just be so stuck in those trauma responses that it's, it's hard to get out of those cycles. And that's a big part of what I found so fascinating about your book is that, you speak to that, that trauma and trauma on an ancestral level, like trauma that has been passed down from generation to generation and, you know, nothing to your fault at all, but just something that has been like in the DNA, you know, of your family for generations. And so I'd love to dig into to that a little bit. Can you speak to that a bit more around like ancestral trauma and, and maybe just tell us, cause this is a lot about what your book is about, right? So maybe just tell us a little bit more kind of about like your book and, and what you speak about in there. Yeah. Um, so our money stories is kind of like a health driven money book. Um, and I never realized that before until recently, but it's basically seeing where you're at, um, with your money based off of your family history and kind of decoding that first before you start doing, making the next steps. A lot of times, most of us will create these financial goals. So we'll be like, yeah, I'm going to save $10,000 for my wedding or yeah, I'm going to, uh, pay off my student loans, or if I could just budget for one day, I'd be happy. Um, But anytime there's like some little crisis at work or with your relationship or somebody passes away in your family, you shift away from the goal and you go right back to like your, the trauma that you have. So 
a lot of it was just based breaking down the book. So like one, one joke I used to say, it was, I called it uh, one Coke to rule them all. So like my, um, my dad is a Coca-Cola like person. He loves Coke (laughs) and I'm marrying into a Coke family, (laughs) right? Which is so crazy because literally my fiance's husband works for Coca-Cola. There's Coca-Cola everywhere in the house. Um, It's just so crazy that I don't even drink sodas, right? Um, So I, but if you ask me like, hey, um, do you like soda or or do you like Pepsi or Coke? I'd always be like, Coke, of course, I need a Coke. Okay, Atlanta, Ted Turner, all that. I need need Coke. Um, But I never really knew why. So then I asked my dad like, why did you um, start drinking Coke? And he would say like, oh, um, we basically got to the point where he would say, um, my, my, one of my girlfriend's mothers and I, we like spent a lot of quality time together. And when we spent a lot of quality time together, we would have Coca-Cola. Um, so something like that, which is like a daily task, like my dad is addicted to soda. Right. Um, he is. He's gone down to like Coke Zero or whatever. And but he is is Coke all the way. Um, and then I researched it more, which is like real crazy, but it's very common for folks that have gone through traumatic experiences. One way that they find coping mechanisms is either they'll like smoke a cigarette or they drink sodas. Um, so that's kind of like a, a way that people cope. And so my dad using Coca-Cola or drinking Coca-Cola is not necessarily the worst habit, right? Warren Buffett eats McDonald's every day. Right. Don't <laughs> lie. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to throw that out there, but like <laughs> you could tell that he used this as the coping mechanism. Um, so then, um, I guess I can talk about uh, adverse childhood experiences. So that's a study from Kaiser. And basically they interviewed a whole bunch of adults and they were like, why don't you tell me about like some of the stuff you dealt with when you were a kid? Like, were you spoken too poorly with your parents? Were you hit? Were you, were you this? Um, And they created this like metric. um, And then they basically said, if you have this score, right, if you have an ACE score of four or more, they can actually predict some like health um, issues that you might have in the future. It's not necessarily to mean that, oh, you're going to get these things. It just means that this is something you need to be aware of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that stuff will, you know, stem from family, your family experience, your family history. Um, and so that score, um, really opened my eyes to, okay, what are some of the things that I have issues with? So one of my really big things is fear of abandonment. Um, so I have like, uh, I'm always like, oh, uh, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me. So I don't feel like I'm alone. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, clearly that's not happening right now, but like that used to be the thing. Like I was like, I want to be like, I, 
I want to be single and I'm not dealing with people. Um, and then when I really break, broke that down, a lot of that has to do with the fact that like my, my dad was um, basically an adult at 14, you know? And then if you look at like how a lot of black folks, they raise their children, they will make their kid um, not, and this is not everyone, but like, they'll, they'll say like, oh, he, they're mature. They're more like an adult. Um, and so my dad had that abandonment issue and then it would pass down to me. Um, and they would show up in weird things. Like, you know, I wouldn't be open to relationships or, um, because I didn't trust certain people, uh, I wouldn't like take a job opportunity or, you know, just like things like that. And that all, most of it has to do with money and emotions and all that jazz. So I had to break that, all those pieces down and um, it's, it was very uncomfortable. And I still find myself going through stuff like that. But, you know, now you kind of laugh, now I kind of laugh at it. Like, oh, there it is again. Or like, <laughs> there's a little baby trauma coming out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, I think, most folks don't have never taken their ACE score. Mm-mm. I think you should, if you're thinking about doing it, um, you know, it is helpful, but you have to get ready to open a can of worms. Well, I was already in a crisis. I was so broke. Like I was sleeping on my friend's couch who had like dog hair everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, so I was like, I'm going to try anything and everything. to like get myself out of this situation. Um, and has it's been really difficult, but you know, it's been five years out of it, which is crazy. And you'll you'll learn from it. And also thinking like, wow, that was such a short period of time that I had these issues and I was still able to overcome them. So yeah, um, and better now than in who knows, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, I feel like a lot of people figure out their trauma even just later in life and they're kind of like working through some of that stuff and in, in you know down the road and so I think it's great that you were able to identify those patterns and start to to heal that because I think most people have some some level of trauma even on like a minor minor level yeah I mean my I, that's the thing like you, sometimes you'll pay attention to it. Sometimes you won't. Like, yeah, lots of folks probably, you know, after they listen to this, they they are probably won't even pay attention to it. But there's always little things. Like, I think we both talked about this once, but um, when I you create these weird triggers and patterns with yourself, and I used to always associate um, Drake, the singer, with Shake Shack. Yes, right. Because every time I played. Drake, I would be like all of my emotions and I would go right to Shake Shack and have a hot dog. And it was like, oh, okay, this is ridiculous. Okay, this this man has like an emotional effect on me and, and this is not okay. So <laughs> I remember you telling that story. Like, I think you're like outside of Shake Shack listening to Drake like, crying. Of course. <laughs> he just so, I mean, so like whiny in that sense Mm. you know that's his release 
but that can't be my release all the totally, time. Totally, you know? yeah. Brings it so, out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I feel that. I mean, that I feel like music is so powerful, and can, like, there's definitely songs I listen to, and I'll cry or will make me reminisce about like times in my life. Or then there's like the songs that just like make you feel so good, and it's just like such a powerful. It can really bring up your your emotions on such a powerful level. It's it's so fascinating. Um, so you you found your a score and that kind of like opened up the world of like exploring trauma for you. Right. Yeah. And how I relate it to my money. Right. So I think that was the big piece that was different. Um, it's like a lot of us, um, are dealing with our issues and the way that we express that is through overspending. Right. Um, and, it's not to say that that's bad. It's just to say that like a lot of the things that we do has to do with money. We make, you know, five to seven money decisions daily. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. if, if we're making all these money decisions, we can't ignore them. And, you know, for me, it was like a big slap in the face, but for some folks, they are not connecting it. Um, and I, I think with the book too, I, I interviewed 40 people. So I interviewed other women of color that identified as Native American, Asian American, and um, Latina uh, American, Latinx. As you know, that's still a heavily debated um, conversation. Um, and I interviewed Black women and, and I knew I wasn't the only one. I knew that. Yep. Other people were going through the same mess and the mm-hmm. and the way that they were going through some of the same mess was rough. Like you saw people that were making I was interviewing some of these women that were making so much money, more money than I could even imagine to be in my bank account. Now I'm like, oh yeah, that could easily be on my bank account. <laughs> then I was like, what? Like this girl mm-hmm. and things that had to do with their family, like in terms of like sexual things and, and I have to be with a man because a man's going to provide for me. Like that's all has to do with money. So um, I just realized that that's definitely still something that we're not talking about. Um, And, you know, now that I'm done written this book, now I'm more thinking along the lines of um, like really health and, and how much money we spend on our health, you know, the reason why most people go bankrupt is because of their medical bills. Mm-hmm. So even things like that, the money, our trauma and all that stuff is affecting our overall health. So right now it's like, how can we get as many people to just see that part? Um, Cause that's kind of the first part. And I don't know how long that journey might be. It might be 10 years, but like, I think that's one thing that everybody should pay attention to is that it's, it really starts from the health. It really starts from who you are. It really starts from the ancestry. What what makes your family tick? What makes you tick? Um, and going from there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I love about your book too, is that you speak not only to family trauma, but you, t- you speak to trauma due to systemic issues, systemic racism, colonialism, and how those things have from generation to generation affected 
the way you think about money, your relationship with money, and and then just even things like access to money and, and equality when it comes to resources and stuff like that. So I thought that part of your book was super fascinating as well, because of course that's going to affect your money story, you know, but right. I don't know if a lot of people like really think about that. Yeah. I, I think that's hard too. Cause I mean, the, you know, racism is, can, affects everything that we do, like even to the homes that we purchase, mm-hmm. right? If a home has more trees, you're living in a more wealthy area, right? That's a basic need, trees, right? Um, and so that's a hard thing for most folks to digest. Um, I think what I wanted to do with the book and what I hope to do in the future with the practice, um, a financial and yoga practice, uh, is to help people not always just be angry at white folks um, <laughs> or their parents. Because, um, you you know, you have every right to be upset. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, that me being upset with someone that's white is affecting. It's getting in the way of the things that I need to do. It's getting away with my healing. It's getting in the way because I'm fixating on that, that those ideas. Um, so I want you to understand those ideas and understand what the issues are so you can debate with a bunch of people about it. I want you to be able to debate. Um, but then at the end, you know, you you want folks to actually move past that. And I just had someone who asked me to be a client. And I'm very much so like I'm writing. I'm not taking clients. Mm-hmm. No, figure it out yourself. <laughs> <laughs> But um, she was like, I'm so upset with, with um, like my white counterparts, they have more money than I do. They're putting money into cryptocurrency and all this stuff. And I'm like, stop, like you can't get, when you get upset with that, the systemic thing, again, you have to make, do action with it. Like what? Yes, I want you to be mad. I want you to like, then, but you you still have to do the thing like you still got to have an emergency plan right and there's no white hand in front of you that's saying like you can't save money like you know and that's like a hard it's a really hard thing to swallow right because there's there are lots of i can list off every every single aspect of our life housing leasing credit reports all that stuff has to do with uh, discrimination. Yeah. But as, again, there are lots of success stories that we can see of people putting work in and doing it. And now we have a lot more examples. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's got to be so tough though, because there, as you mentioned, there's literally like laws and policies in place that are not fair and are not equal and have been for hundreds and, you know, generations upon generations and so it's like, how can you not be angry? But I do hear you in the sense of like, you can still, there are still things that you can do and it's hard. It's I could imagine it's hard. I don't know personally, I'm a white woman. I have a ton of privilege, right? But I could imagine that it's hard to really like accept that and like still move forward. Yeah. I mean, there, I think the other thing is too, like, 
you know, you are a woman still. <laughs> yeah. Like if you moved to Texas and, you know, you were single and somebody knocked you up and you can't get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Like I've experienced you know, just, the patriarchy. I just haven't. Right, experienced yeah. So I, I definitely don't want to discredit um, everyone's experience. Cause I think that is typically what we do. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you for saying like you, you are just hearing to listen, but yeah, that's the other thing. Like we really have to not move past it, but acknowledge that's what it is. Right. I had to acknowledge that I personally felt inferior to someone that was white. That's a really hard thing to feel or say, right? Mm-hmm. I feel personally inferior to someone that is a man, right? Uh, or identifies as man. That's hard. Like yeah. it's a hard thing to to say and 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 do, but. Man, does it feel great because it's like all of that, you know, I'm 33 going on 34. That's like all that stress for 33 years has now been released. Right. So it's just like feeling inferior for you. We feel inferior for so many things. We're short, we're fat, we're this or that. Like just admitting it, you know, um, is is pretty powerful. Um, but again, like you, you have to at least start asking for help to get out of it. Um, and if you, we, if you want to talk about resources or different things like that, we could definitely do that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just so important to find the right people to support you as well, because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who aren't the right people and who might even like perpetuate that even further. And so it's like, that could probably, that could be challenging as well to really find people who like fully support you and are like there to, and like speaking as from like a female perspective, you know, like finding those who like support (laughs) women's rights and like, it's crazy. Yeah. I'm lucky. Like my husband's like really good with that, but I even see just like uh, my friends, like husbands who are like, it's not that they're not supportive, but it's like they buy into some of those patriarchal standards of like, you should be like cooking and cleaning and like doing the majority of the child rearing tasks. And it's just like blows my mind, but yeah, it hurts everybody. It does. It does. It hurts yeah, men. It yeah. hurts white people. It hurts, obviously, those who have been marginalized and oppressed, of course, the most. It hurts them the most. But yeah, like I think everybody benefits when we're all treated equally and, and on a level playing field. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love that you dig into all of that in your book because I just think it's so important. I'm sure not only as a woman of color to understand like how your ancestry affects you, but even as, you know, a white woman talking here, like it's important to understand others perspectives and like really everything that can go into that trauma. And then therefore the trauma we're talking about in relation to, to money and and how you show up in your finances and the, the way you spend and the way you think about money and the way that you invest or not invest or like the trust or distrust that you have of the system or like, however that 
manifest for you. But I think just like you said, kind of gaining that awareness is like a really good first step at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I love also that you really talk about health and like how health and money, like money and flow is the name of your podcast. And um, you talk about like financial wellness in your book, like, and I, I believe the same thing, right? Like they're so interconnected, but I'm curious, like how you kind of started getting into this like idea and just like where this has kind of where this started for you of like, oh, these things are like really connected. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is just the culture that we live in and the people that I kick it with, they're very much so about health. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm very fortunate for that. Um, You know, that in itself is a privilege. So I just would always notice when, um, when people were off, um, even when I was a teacher, I got my superlative was, uh, you can, it was like, um, you can tell when you're hangry award <laughs> or something like that. I love it. I love <laughs> so it. I'd be, I'd be able to figure out like, oh, this is somebody's trigger because this, 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 um, you know, for the longest, I just thought it was logic. My nurse tells me it's empathic, which is crazy. But yeah, I was always paying attention to that type of stuff. And so then I kind of stumbled into the eight pillars of wellness, which um, I write about in my book, but um, Tiffany Adiche, the Bajanista, also just wrote in her, her book, and it's really digging into these eight pillars Um, And the pillars range from spirituality to nutrition, to health, to finances, to, you know, what's going on in your personal space. Um, And so everything that we do, we can create a will and see where we're at, you know, like on a scale one to 10, how's my job working out? Okay. I'm at a four. Why am I at a four? Is it because I'm putting way too much stock into this job and I'm not paying attention to my spirituality and I'm not paying attention to my money? Um, or is it because um, I, this is my first business and I just haven't been focusing on myself, right? So it, that was kind of like the big thing is just figuring out, okay, well, what are these pillars? And, and going backwards from that. Um, so typically for me, I'm, I've never been like set the financial goals first. I've always been like, okay, tell me what your money story is first. Then tell me, um, then we're going to go deeper and then you're going to tell me what your real money story is because you know that that's not the real thing. Um, and then after that, then we're like, okay, well, where are you with your overall self or well-being, right? For the longest, my like spiritual side was not being um, supported. So I was like overworking. That typically is my like, you know, thing that I do. I'll overwork until exhaustion. Um, but yeah, just figuring out like, where are you at that? Then you make the goals, Um because then the goals are 
uh, really holistic um, because you're thinking about all the aspects of your life. Um, so for instance, like uh, Sunday, my fiance and I made, we, we actually talked about like our lives and what we wanted and our goals and whatnot. But that, first of all, that took a long time. It took um, definitely a couple of years for us to get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> but the other cool thing or the other crazy thing is like, um, we just didn't realize where we were with our actual goals. Like, what do we want? What made us happy? Um, what, like really what made us tick? And the crazy thing is I just, you know, had a vacation with my family and it's like community is super important to me. How much does it cost for community? Like two, three grand, like let's be real. And I can't beat myself up on this because I'm going to do this every year. Every year I'm going to go see my family. It's going to cost this much. I'm not going to be stressed out about it. Like, because this part is a part of the community. And so I really just need to put in my goals. Oh, we'll have a revolving savings account for like community. And you can even, you can label your, um, your bank accounts. So you can just say like WTF money, whenever (laughs) you get stressed out, you can go and take that money out, like, and spend that. So, um, just trying to make things or money work for you, Mm -hmm. um, instead of you just not pay attention to it. I love all of that. I love like first going through the eight pillars. I remember doing an exercise similar to this with a life coach that I was working with. And it was like, all the areas were like, a lot of the areas were pretty low. And so like, it was overwhelming to like, Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you've seen this with people you've spoke with or yourself, just like when you're feeling low in a lot of areas, like the process of like building all of them up, like, do you just focus on like one or two at a time or like, (laughs) what does that look like? Um, well, I think with, with life coaching in particular, they typically say that you're supposed to focus on the one, like one thing, um, and then do the miracle wand exercise, which is like, if this wasn't an option or money wasn't an option, what would you do? And that's supposedly supposed to help them. Um, I really liked Tim Ferriss's idea and people, some people don't like it, but it was like, what are these three goals that you're having, being and doing? So what do you want to have? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? Mm. Um, And use those goals. And then at the end, like eventually you'll find out how much it costs. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to learn French, because my bonus kid is taking French class, And we're both like, okay, the only way that you can learn French is either one, everyone you know is speaking it. Two, you're already like bilingual. So sometimes picking another language could be easier because you're already, you already know, you already can um, switch back and forth. Um, Or like, you know, three, just like making the time to learn it. And time is money, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
we've been talking about when she gets to fifth grade, which is like perfect because that's around financially where I could have the time and space to do that. Then we can take French classes, right? There's French class. There's a French immersion place right down the street. Um, so, you know, and there's like French speaking meetups and different things like that. So, how much is that going to cost? Actually, it's going to cost some some money because yeah. I'm going to have to take time out of my day to learn it. Um, yeah. But if if money wasn't an option, right? Would I would I be doing it? Yes. And then I, then you just break down how much it's going to cost, right? Like if I'm trying to get a great honeymoon, like if I'm trying to go to Japan, just let me look it up afterwards mm-hmm. and then see how much it's going to really cost. A lot of the things we want isn't that far with, within our reach, but sometimes it's hard to actually, you have to visibly see the numbers too. So yeah, yeah but starting with one, it's hard too, because when they're that, when things are that low, like, you know, when you're doing the um, circle and your health, you're like, I'm at a two. Sometimes if you do a bunch of exercises with a life coach or a therapist or even a financial coach, a lot of times you realize that you're just downplaying yourself, mm. right? Because your health is probably better than what you think, right? You are, okay, I walk every day. Okay, cool. That's healthy. Yeah. Just focus on like, so let's put the number up. So a lot of it is just not seeing where you're at. Um, so with, true. So yeah, true. we down, we typically downplay ourselves. We do. I think that's a really good tip. I know we need to really learn how to yeah. like brag about ourselves and like, just, yeah, that it's confidence thing. And I think a lot of that's conditioning as well, but Uh, I like that you, you know, go through the wheel and you focus on the most important areas and then you put numbers to it. Like you really like quantify it and then you build that into the budget, the savings plan, the investing plan. And I think that's a really great way to align your money with your values and, and your life and the things that you care about. And like, for me, that's like what I love about financial planning. So I think it's super cool how you just like really intermix those things and, just so important. I think everybody needs to look at, you know, health on a holistic level, like financial is part of that health, but then also like how the other areas are impacting it and, and aligning your money with the things that you do value and that are important to you. Yeah. 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 I mean, cause most people are always on the wellness front, right? So it's just, just a matter of making letting people know that they're always, they're always interconnected. Um, yeah, that's important. They really are. And I think especially too, in our society, it's all about hustle, hustle, grind, grind, work, time for money, productivity. And so we can really feel like financial success is going to come from those things like working constantly and like being super productive. But, you know, I'm learning that, financial success doesn't necessarily come from those things, right? Like financial success. And, and it's not, it's not all about financial success either. It's about like what success means to you and what that looks like. And it doesn't have to be so hard to earn money. We don't have to work 24 seven and sacrifice 
you know, our well-being in order to to be successful. And that takes a lot of deconditioning, I think, <laughs> deprogramming. Yeah. And I think also when you're in the struggle or when you're dealing with stuff, sometimes you do have to put in the work. Like, yeah. I remember when when all that stuff happened, I went and grabbed a job at um at a restaurant and I started where I was working nonstop. Um so I can like at least figure out, at least pay stuff off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but once that was done, it was like, okay, now how can I focus on the next step? Yeah. Seasons of life. I remember, I remember starting my business and I was working like nights and weekends, but it was really establishing a client base. And then, you know, once I had enough income to at least like, you know, pay my bills and stuff, I could take the foot off the pedal a little bit and do it in a more like holistic and sustainable way. I was just curious to like talk a little bit about your podcast as well. The non-existing one. Sure. Well, you're taking a break right now. Right. But you still have a ton of content up there and like people can go through. Yeah. um, Yeah. So money and flow podcast kind of derived from um, one from the book, but a long time ago I was in London and um, you know I was thinking about the wheel of life and all that cool stuff and I met this girl that her name was Alice Stapleton look her up she's real cool Uh, she wrote a she helped she was a life coach to help people with their quarter life crisis Um, and I emailed her and I said let's have a dinner and then I explained to her how I like would get out of situations or like how I would figure this stuff out which helped with me financially um and she was like oh you can make something of that <laughs> so then um so then I was like oh, okay so the idea came out like probably seven years ago um just because of that um, that trip so um, so fun. Uh, right. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it is still always based off of what we just talked about, which was, is like the pillars, the wellness pillars, and like how, how they actually work. Um, yeah. So a lot of it, um, I was always wondering how you can actually tie wellness and money together. Uh, there's still really not that much information in terms of um, how they're really interconnected. Um, there are some cool organizations that are popping up. And as you know, the term financial wellness um, is a hot name and it's it's good for SEO, um, but it still only talks about budgeting and it doesn't talk about trauma and it doesn't talk about really mental health. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there are studies um, from Yale, and there's this great organization. Um, it's the Center of, of what's it called? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. But there's a center in the UK. I'll make sure I give you the link. Um, and it's all about studying and figuring out when someone has like mental health issues. Oh, the mind. Um, the mental health and money policy group. Mm. Um, basically, they they'll look and they'll say, okay, if, if you're having issues with your mental health, 
this is how it's going to affect your money. Um, Fascinating. So, I love so there's that. Not, right. So there's not much stuff in the uh, states yet, but you know we're already seeing like financial therapy as a um, mode of financial coaching as a mode of just personal um, well-being. Mm-hmm. It's just a really small number of folks. So that's why I started writing um, and really starting to think about that because you do have to have more of a journalistic approach about it because not a lot of folks know about it. So you have to normalize like financial therapy mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, there's Barry Tesler wrote a book called um, The Art of Money and she's a financial therapist. There are some uh, therapists that are certified in financial therapy, which means that they can help you with both um, things. And you can go on the Financial Therapy Association and find a therapist within your um, region. Um, so yeah, it's it's popping off, but uh, still not a, enough research and still not enough uh, information. But there, are, that's why I talked about money and flow. And the, now I'm just like, F it. Like I'm, I'm going to do some weird stuff the next time I start talking about it. You know, we were talking about, you and I have talked about it, but like, you know, money and chakra stuff is really yes. a big thing. Like I'm money all about it. Stuff, right. And I'm super curious about like money. I grew up in church and like, I grew up in a very um, God fearing place and even how that affected my money uh is crazy how much my my spirituality had with my beliefs and my money so Mm -hmm. um that's gonna come out soon probably next year um I'm excited for that yeah but it yeah it's all gonna be like mini series where we're gonna break down certain things but the big thing for me is is the health piece right now um my grandmother is dying and my I'm dad, sorry. yeah, my dad is um, getting older to retirement age. Um, my mom is successfully, you know, in her 50s and now she's like, she has lost 25 pounds, um, which is crazy that she did it during the pandemic, but it's awesome. Um, and so now I'm trying to think about how to look at money truly from a health lens mm-hmm. and what does that that mean and so money and flow will be a financial counseling and yoga practice um where we're actually like doing sabasana and talking about money or like you know doing some root chakra stuff and then writing out our money stories um so just i'm really obsessed <laughs> Yeah, just trying to figure out some new weird ways to do things. Um, all for uh, all it. That stuff, all that stuff's coming out. Um, probably like in how long is the birth of baby? You just had one. <laughs> Nine months. Nine months, baby. Nine months. <laughs> so, I don't know when that is, but yeah. I love that. Yeah, you're birthing your you're birthing your next little baby here. Um, not little big, but like, (laughs) I'm like, no, this is actually huge because I love it. I mean, I'm all into spirituality and obviously money as well. And so I think just the intersection of those two things is so fascinating and I will be all 
in for the yoga and money and all of that stuff. So that's super cool. Everyone definitely keep your eye out for that. You can at least like head over to the show, subscribe to it. And that way you get the notifications when, when this starts coming out. So super cool, super cool. Anything else that we want to chat about today or any like last thoughts for everyone? No, just buy the book, please. Buy the book, people. You have no, but seriously, like it's it's so good. And you have not heard this type of financial content before. Like, because you uh, you've told this story where you like went in Barnes and Noble and you like looked at the uh, table of contents of all the personal finance books, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked at the um all the books, the table of contents, um, and just notice what was missing. Uh, if anybody's writing a book, regardless of what they're doing, that should be step one, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I want to write a book about entrepreneurship. Okay, go and see what the heck is out there first and see where there's a gap. You know, that's how businesses start in the first place, right? Like your business is very much so driven on um you know, there are entrepreneurs that are, have really pushed themselves to, to make more financial gains. Um, but they need to really focus on putting their face masks on first because they're making this money, but they're not retaining anything. They're not building any wealth. Um, if you go in the, the stores, that's not what you're going to see. What you're typically going to see is, um, the entrepreneur steps, the $100 startup. So it's like, there are tons of people that have already passed that, that place and they're not leveling up the way they should be. Um, and this is where like bankruptcy happens. This is where all these issues happen because they're not thinking about, okay, what do I do after my side hustles become a main hustle? Does that mean I got to go to a life coach? right? Do I need to go to a business coach? Yes, you need those things, but bro, nobody's really thinking about like how much money um, that no one's thinking about how much money that they can save when they start their business. They're not thinking that. They're thinking about paying all the other people first. That's helping them build the business. Um, And so it's pretty, that part of writing a book you can just Google it, like books on entrepreneurship, books on building a coffee shop, you know, like you, you can make a book really for anything, but. Totally. And you saw that gap and you, you feel and your book fills that. So definitely check that out. And yeah, with the entrepreneur personal finance thing too, I feel like a lot of advice out there is for like, if you're an employee and you get a set paycheck, it's like, save this right. percent and like budget, budget, budget. Which like also I think like I love budgeting and all, but also like invest, expand, grow. Like there's so many messages about like restricting and, you know, being frugal with what you have, but also it's about like investing and expanding what you have as well. So that just was came up for me as you were thinking, but yeah, definitely go check out the book. Everyone go follow Eugene over on Instagram, subscribe to her podcast. She's got so much good stuff coming out. Eugenie, thank you so much for being here today. Always a pleasure. And we'll catch you all next time. 
Thanks so much for listening. As a reminder, this content is for educational and informational purposes only and is not financial, legal, or tax advice. If you loved this episode, please rate and review the show so we can reach more people and create more millionaires together. Connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y underscore Runzer, R-U-N-Z-E-R and DM me with your thoughts and questions. Until next time, my love.